Welcome to the Richard Blackby Leadership Podcast, helping people take their leadership to the next level. Brought to you by Blackby Ministries International. Well, Richard, it's good to see you again. Well, thanks, Sam. Hope you're having a good year. Uh, so far, so good. <laughs> Well, uh, welcome to the podcast, everyone. Uh, we're so glad to have you with us. If it's your first time uh, listening, uh, a special welcome to you. And if this is your, uh, if you've been with us from the beginning, then you're always welcome. We're glad to have you back. Exactly. <laughs> Thanks for joining us again. Mm-hmm. So it's that uh, riveting time yeah. again that we look at a. We're talking with me? Yes. Oh, okay. Yes, that's exactly what I was going to say. Good for you, Sam. But also, uh, another riveting thing is our leadership profiles, yeah. our leader profiles that, we, that we've that been doing here. Pulling off the shelves from my biography section. Yes, which is extensive, I must say. Yes. Uh, so today, uh, this is someone who uh, probably... Needs not, no introduction. Need, <laughs> yeah, and it's also not surprising that, that we're going to do a podcast yeah. on this president. Yeah. So why don't you tell us about him? Well, I think it's probably time that we address George Washington. Ah, yes. Uh, one of the mythical heroes of American history. Mm-hmm. And uh, there are, of course, many, many books written on him. I've not, uh, sadly, read nearly as many as I ought to have. The uh, biog- the, the primary biography, and of course, I, I kind of tend to think that if a biography isn't at least about 800 pages, it's... Not worth... It's, it's barely <laughs> worth getting into. And yeah. this... This biography, sadly, is uh, just looking here right through to the index. It's only five hundred and forty-eight pages, oh, so well. it's a lightweight biography. But it just just barely made it onto your shelf. Yeah, I guess. it's uh, <laughs> so it would require a supplemental reading. But uh, it just it's by w- uh, Willard Stern Randall called George Washington: A Life, and uh, that's the primary book that um, that I, I pull this out of. There's I've got a couple others. There's one uh, by Joseph Ellis called His Excellency, George Washington, <laughs> which uh, also was a, a national bestseller. And he, Ellis wrote an earlier book that I kind of enjoyed called uh, Founding Brothers, The Revolutionary Generation. And he looks at uh, several people uh, like Hamilton and Franklin and so on, but uh, has a, a, a really good uh, section on George Washington that uh, is very quotable. I've actually used uh, that chapter in a, in a class before, just to look at Washington's life kind of in summary. Hmm. Um, but uh, but Washington's one of those guys that uh, even over 200 years later still exerts an influence. Yeah. Uh, you know, when a, 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 a model that you set, um, the, by the way, you led, uh, becomes something that everyone follows afterward, uh, then you you say well that there's influence there like for instance yeah. you know he he served two terms as president and certainly could have been reelected pretty well till he died uh, but he walked away he didn't have to he could have been elected a third term but he voluntarily said two two terms is enough yeah. and of course in his day people were quite scared of a monarchy right and, and probably the single greatest critique people when they wanted his enemies wanted to attack him was. He saw himself as an American king, and uh, that for his generation was a terrible insult. And so the great fear was you just become so popular, kind of like a Napoleon, that you you just take over and become a king. Yeah. And so he walked away after two terms, 
And that became the unofficial rule for a long time. Right. Uh, and nobody until Franklin Roosevelt was ever able to be elected a third term. Uh, it, it, some tried it. Uh, people like Theodore Roosevelt and uh, uh, Ulysses Grant tried to run for a third term. Both of them very popular presidents, uh, especially Roosevelt. Uh, but they they were unsuccessful, and it just seemed as if it in the psyche, Washington's example just everybody just understood two terms is enough, yeah. and eventually the Congress just went ahead and voted that in to say we that's enough for a president. So yeah, and and you know we did a, a whole podcast a few episodes back. I think it's episode twenty eight. Uh, on leaving well. Yeah, in and fact, I think uh, Ellis at one point in his book says Washington was the virtuoso of exits. He just had mm. a way of le- leaving at just the right time, whether it was as a general or as the president. He always seemed to know when it was time to leave, and that was part of what made him so great. So Washington, uh, he reached he has reached mythical proportions in the United States today, uh, but all was not rosy for him, No, was it? No. You know, there, there's some things about uh, Washington that you look at and you say, well, of course, that helped him. Uh, for instance, he, he was a giant of a man, especially in his day. He was about six foot four and a half inches tall, which clearly made him the tallest man pretty well any room he was in. He, sure. You, you, you physically looked up to him before you might, you know, look up to him just out of his reputation. But... Uh, and, he, and he had uh, enormous courage, uh, which uh, I think certainly helped him uh, win admirers. But at the same time, he also had a lot of shortcomings. He, yeah. grew, he grew up in a relatively impoverished uh, home. He, w- he never got to go to, to college, to university, which is unusual because in, among those founding fathers, whether it was Benjamin Franklin or Thomas Jefferson or uh, Madison... Uh, Hamilton, most of those founding fathers were extremely educated. Uh, the, the people who founded America, for the most part, were some of the smartest, most educated, well-read people in the entire country. And so, you, uh, and yet Washington is the one exception. He's the military hero that a lot of the other guys aren't. But uh, he, he was not well-read. And uh, in fact, he spent most of his time reading newspapers, whereas Jefferson was constantly reading the latest uh, books from Europe and so on. Uh, and, and Washington was always kind of insecure about that. Uh, you, you think George Washington, insecure about anything? Yeah. Uh, but he was. Uh, and he often, when he was in a room with Jefferson and Madison and some of those other guys, uh, he often deferred to, to their opinion and recognized them to be geniuses uh, and much better educated than he was. Interestingly, uh, Washington also had a, a uh, very difficult relationship with his mother. You, you, again, you sort of think, here's a guy who charges into battle on a horse and uh, fearlessly faces British uh, bullets and musket fire and so on, but uh, yet he, he uh, had a very difficult relationship with his mother. His father died uh, when he was fairly young, and, uh, and, and Washington just wanted to escape his mother's clutches. At one point, he actually ran away from home as a young man to try to join the British Navy, of all things. Huh. And his mother sent uh, people to, to apprehend him and bring him home. At one point, uh, she was a widow, 
living on his property and refused to leave. Uh, it, 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 his author says, uh, his biographer says, it took him 29 years to finally get his mother off his property. <laughs> uh, after he after he married, uh, Washington kept his mother on uh, in a separate house than the one he lived in, and uh, he never made his uh, wife go over to see his mother, or her mother-in-law, but. Uh, he would go over now and then to sort of bravely face uh, the enemy fire. <laughs> His mother was constantly asking for money and constantly criticizing him. Hmm. Uh, and so, you know, just on a personal level, the, our, hit, our heroes have feet of clay. They're, they're yeah. people. They, they overcome issues. And I think from, you know, when you give a long span of time, when you're looking back, a lot of these leaders of, uh, you know, founding fathers and so forth, they, they, they do sort of rise to a sort of mythical yeah. uh, we exa- persona that, that they're just sort of these gods of of old that, that just did everything right and right. had and no flaws, but that's not, that's not the case. No, it's, uh, and in fact, it, for me, it always makes me appreciate them more, that mm. they had to overcome all kinds of things, just like everybody else, if they're going to rise to greatness, uh, and I guess the other thing with Washington that would be similar to so many leaders like uh, Abraham Lincoln is that he experienced a lot of failure in his life. The first election he ever ran for, he lost. Uh, most of the early battles that he fought in, uh, he lost. In fact, uh, many people accused him of, of launching a seven years war between uh, Britain and, and France uh, because of basically an impetuous mistake that he made in the frontier of America uh, he had to, he had to surrender forts. At one point, he was an advisor to General Braddock, the top uh, British general, and it was his advice that led to one of the worst defeats in British history, uh, where the British army was just uh, cut down and uh, destroyed. One of the worst defeats ever. Um, Two thirds of all the soldiers were casualties. The worst disaster in British history. And uh, at one point in, in his early career, where he's trying to make a name for himself. He said, I have been upon the losing order ever since I entered the service. I mean, mm-hmm. Ever since he's been in the army, Army, he's just continually lost. Uh, and so, um, you know, at that point you would think, is this guy, well, he needs to find another line of work. He's obviously not working in his area of strength here. <laughs> if every time he tries to lead uh, a, a military unit, they get mauled by the enemy. Uh, and even when he leads the uh, Revolutionary Army, most of his early battles, he loses. Uh, in fact, uh, many people would say, well, the greatest um, success he had is that despite continually getting pummeled by the British, he kept his ragtag army uh, together. But, uh, yeah. uh, but you know, he, he had uh, all kinds of um, casualties at w- in one year between 1777 and 1778. About half of Washington's troops were either killed, captured, or wounded. Uh, and so, you know, mm. you look back over that. In fact, when he first uh, first battle that they he fought uh, in the Revolutionary War, he lost a thousand men, and uh, was quoted as saying, "Good God, are there are these the men in which I am to defend America?" Uh, he, of course, he didn't have a lot to work with, but uh, uh, but I mean, they were beaten so badly by the disciplined British Army that. Yeah. Uh, it just looked like an impossible situation. So if you look at Washington's early stages, uh, examples, uh, and you, by the way, ironically, uh, Washington's goal as a young man was to become an officer in the British Army. 
but uh, the, a little the, awkward. Yeah, the, the, but the British, of course, were such snobs in that day that if you were an American, you were considered riffraff, you uncivilized, uncouth, frontiers person that could never give orders to proper British soldiers, and so. Some people, I think it's maybe psychologizing a bit much, but uh, basically he wasn't good enough for the British Army. He would never even be an officer for the British. He was rejected and never allowed to do that. And so eventually he leads the army against the British, yeah. becomes the top officer for the Americans, and and ironically defeats them. The yeah. guy that w couldn't be an officer for the British ultimately beats the Brits and all their officers. And so... He had overcome a lot of um, early failure, rejection, uh, stress in his personal life, lack of education. Uh, and so this is not a person you look at and just say, wow, this guy's destined for greatness. Yeah, certainly not at the time. Uh, you you know, no, none of his contemporaries probably would say that, you no. know, based on his track record, he had any hope of yeah. success. He needs to go into business or something <laughs> else, but yeah. uh, military success was not his forte. Yeah. So, so based on your reading, uh, you know, what reasons would you give then for, for his success and, you know, these early days of his, uh, and, and certainly military career was not necessarily spotless by any stretch of the yeah. imagination. So, you know, what was it about Washington that led to his ultimate success and, and what can we take away from that? Well, I think there's a couple things. One I've touched on already, and that that's his courage. Mm. Uh, he had incredible courage. And and oftentimes when people come out of a military background, someone like Napoleon or someone else, uh, they what makes them stand out is they are brave. And I mean, when there are musket balls flying through the air, cannon being fired, uh, and you're on a horse where you stand out. You're six foot you're four, six foot half, four yeah. on a horse. Like Don't want to be that guy. It is hard to miss you. Uh, and yet well, one of his famous quotes after a battle, uh, one of the early battles he, he fought in, there were, over, there were four uh, bullet holes uh, in his jacket and in his hat. Uh, I mean, the bullets were, were literally just passing through his clothing but not striking him. And, of course, you get hit by a musket in that day, they're, they're, the, the, the surgeons there were basically butchers. They just cut, yeah. cut off whatever limb was hit by a musket, <laughs> yeah. and you hope that you didn't bleed to death on the field. But uh, but after uh, after one of those battles where he had had bullet holes all through his clothing, he uh, famously said, I heard the bullets whistle, and believe me, there is something charming in the sound. <laughs> now, not many are going to think bullets being fired, whistling by you. Poking holes is, in that, your jacket. Uh, yeah. that, that, there's, it's, if there's anything charming about that sound. Mm -hmm. But uh, but he, um, apparently, uh, he, there was something that just the adrenaline that got him when he would do that. Uh, and and he, he had some things that uh, he said that were, were interesting. He, he was a great encourager. He, on the battlefield, uh, he could see, at one point, he saw a bunch of soldiers that were uh, fleeing in fear, and uh, he rode up to them and, uh, uh, and turned them around and said, uh, at one point, he came across a bunch of soldiers running in fear from the British. He rides up and says, uh, parade with us, my brave fellows. There is but a handful of the enemy, and we will have them directly. Well, <laughs> several things uh, were interesting. He didn't say charge into this fiery onslaught. He said parade with me, which almost sounds like a walk in the park. He calls them brave fellows, even as they're running in retreat and fleeing from the battlefield. 
He says there's only a handful of them. He he minimizes. He says don't you know he he re, he cuts the enemy down to size, hmm. and he says we'll have them shortly. Meaning we we will be victorious if you'll just and of course they they did turn around and follow him. They did win the day, uh, and yet he he could have cursed out other generals would have been cursing out the the cowards the, the people fleeing the field. He says parade with me, brave fellows. Yeah. <laughs> That's a uh, and you know when the when another, the whole battle is on the line, and he is not just cursing out these uh, deserters, yeah. but uh, urging them forward. Want uh, him the the undying loyalty of mm. his troops, uh, and so he uh, that you know he he just did a number of things. Even um, later, when it looked like the the soldiers might have a rebellion because they had been they'd not been paid properly, not provisioned well. Uh, and at one point, uh, it sounded, it looked like the, the soldiers were going to just, uh, rebel and, and demand all kinds of things from the government. He, uh, went to try to calm them down and, uh, near the end in a famous speech he gives at the end, he, he's, uh, going to read a, a letter to the soldiers and he has to stop in a dramatic fashion and put a, put on his spectacles so that he can read his notes. And he says, gentlemen, you must pardon me. I've grown gray in your service and now find myself growing blind. And of course, uh, his soldiers that were ready to rebel are in tears watching their, their brave general who's aged, who's lost a lot of his eyesight in, and he says, in your service, uh, you, you, you see the humility of the top person saying, I've been, I've ser tried to serve you. And all of a sudden, it just put to shame these uh, soldiers who were demanding their rights and demanding this and that. Mm. And uh, and so uh, Washington had a way around men. He was a very strong uh, just person. He's one of the best horsemen of his day, physically very strong, very sturdy, never really got sick, even if he was uh, uh, you know, facing all kinds of harsh winter weather and cold and wet. Uh, he, uh, he he had a way of just uh, connecting with his men where he would not uh, live in a style that was way above his soldiers. If they were hungry, if they were camping out, he'd be in a tent camping with them kind of thing. And so he endeared the soldiers to him. Hmm. And even though they might be losing, they, 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 he didn't always uh, give them success early on. Uh, they knew that he cared about them and he was uh, with them. And... Uh, and I think maybe one other thing just to say is that he, like he 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 knew it was about something bigger than himself. Yeah. Um, he uh, he he knew it was for his country, not his own reputation. There are some leaders that it's all about them and their glory, especially in the military field. Sometimes it's all about sure. winning the awards and the recognition. But Washington was keenly aware it was about something much greater than him, the the founding of an entire nation. Uh, that he knew that he would uh, not always be around, but uh, it was about the country and what was best for the country. And when when you lead that way, where you lead because of what's best for the organization, uh, that is a recipe for greatness and uh, influence. And certainly Washington was a master at that. Great. Well, let's take a quick break, and then we'll carry on with Mr. Washington. Huh. Twice a year, Blackbeam Ministries hosts a spiritual leadership coaching workshop in the Atlanta area. The focus of this workshop is learning how to ask the right questions to help move people onto God's agenda. The next workshop is May 6th through 8th, and registration is now open. The early bird rate is available until April 1st, and space is limited. To find out more and to register, visit blackbeecoaching.org. Links will be in the show notes. You know, before the break, Richard, you mentioned 
how uh, George Washington sort of addressed some fleeing people, some fleeing soldiers from the battle, and, yeah. and sort of shaped the reality. And, and that reminded me of an episode we've done in the past, um, and I believe it was episode 23 about leaders getting results. And, and one of the things that you'd mentioned there was, was leaders shape the reality mm-hmm. that of the people that they lead. And, and so that, that made me think of that. And so if you want to hear more of that, you can go back and listen to episode, uh, I think it was episode 23 where we talked about leaders getting results. Oh yeah, results. that was a good one. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I just think it's interesting, you know, yeah. how they can just with their words, right. Change the situation. I mean, they don't change the situation. They just change the perspective yeah. Yeah. Of, and so of those that they led. When, when those uh, soldiers were fleeing in fear from those British soldiers, they see Washington riding toward the soldiers, boldly saying, they're not so tough. We can take them. It, yeah. the, the, the battle's not over yet. And I think sometimes as leaders, how we position, if we're worried and fretting and anxious, that, yeah. that sends a message. Yeah, that, I think there's just so much power in, in shaping the perception of, of what it is you're facing. Yeah. For yeah. sure. Well, so as we wrap this up, what were some of the challenges that, that Washington had to overcome as he led? Well, uh, there were many. Even, you know, we, we've talked about early on setbacks, uh, loss, losing elections, uh, losing battles. Uh, during the Revolutionary War, it's estimated he lost about half his net worth. Uh, there was a financial toll. He paid a, a significant price. He, he didn't get rich by leading during the Revolutionary War. He actually yeah. lost a lot, which again gives you credibility because you realize this guy's not in it for the money. He's uh, he's serving a higher cause than that. Uh, later, he he was always as tough as he was, and even though he said it, you know, something charming in the sound of musket balls flying by your head, <laughs> um, he, but he, he tried to not let criticism get to him, but uh, at times it would, and He'd read all the newspapers and be deeply hurt at times by people he considered his friends that were undermining him, crit- criticizing him. And I've shared earlier, uh, the, the biggest critique for him typically was he, he treated himself like a king, that he just wanted to be a monarch, a European monarch in an American form. And, uh, you know, when you've, you've lost half your worth, uh, sac- sacrificing it for your country, you faced uh, all kinds of enemy fire that you should have been killed from. And then people say, oh, you're just being selfish. Uh, <laughs> that hurts, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and so I, I think uh, he always battled with that to try to keep doing the right thing. Uh, and he was quite good, really, at rising above that. And he, he rarely ever do you find him sniping back. Yeah. Uh, and I think one of the, one of the most uh, difficult times was that uh, Thomas Jefferson and James Madison began to form a kind of a rival party. And you could never just take Washington on head-on because he was just too well-loved and respected. But Jefferson and Madison, both uh, you know, great leaders in their own right, but uh, they undercut Washington. They uh, helped promote a division, uh, even though they, they both served under Washington. And that hurt uh, Washington when some of your key people are fighting among themselves. Uh, Jefferson was very much opposed uh, to Hamilton, and so both of them are in his ca- Washington's cabinet, but his own cabinet is fighting among themselves. And uh, that, that wore Washington down. I mean, he, mm. there were so many huge uh, issues for the country, and yet he, saw, he, he had to endure a bunch of sniping among his own lieutenants. And, uh, and, and at times, uh, especially with Jefferson, uh, Jefferson and his party would uh, be uh, promoting criticisms of Washington 
But uh, Washington wouldn't just come right out and join the fray. But he had a way of kind of letting people like Jefferson know that he was fully aware of the betrayal, the, yeah. uh, the lack of loyalty. Uh, but he, but he never let himself just be dragged down into the muck and mire, uh, and I think that's probably one of the reasons for his enduring greatness, is that uh, he always took the high road. He uh, refused just to sort of snipe back and uh, start slinging mud backward back at his opponents. Uh, but when he finally um, uh, did uh, finish his second term, and uh, John Adams was taking over as the next president. He, uh, he said to Adams, I said, I am fairly out. You are fairly in. See which of us will be happiest. <laughs> I, think, I think by the time he left being president and facing all the undercutting and criticism, uh, he was happy to do that and return to Mount Vernon. And, of course, uh, famously uh, on his deathbed, when Washington realizes he's going to die. Of course, back then they had bloodletting. That was the number one cure. I'm so grateful now it's extra strength Tylenol. But, uh, <laughs> but back then, if you had pain or discomfort, uh, you, they thought, well, you've got uh, unhealthy fluids in you. And the way to get rid of them was to cut you and bleed you and uh, get all those bad fluids out of your body. Yeah, seems legit. And so when he's uh, struggling with the bad cold or something, they're cutting him and bleeding him. And, of course, he's losing his strength. And uh, when he knew he was dying, he said to his doctor, Doctor, I, I die hard, but I am not afraid to go. And uh, right to the end, he faced uh, with courage uh, the ultimate challenge uh, that we all face in death. And uh, the, he said, "'Tis well." And the, the last thing that he did, apparently, was take his own pulse uh, to see how he was doing and then died. That, <laughs> that uh, self-sufficiency to the very end uh, self-control, saying, hmm, my pulse seems to be declining. <laughs> and then he, the last thing he does uh, before he dies, uh, and yet uh, things like that uh, were the uh, the stuff of legend for Washington. Uh, he's the one who chose Washington, D.C. as the capital. And as Ellis says uh, very eloquently, uh, Washington was accustomed to history proving him right. And uh, he made a number of decisions that, looking back, you realize, such as only running for two terms and so on, yeah. that, that later people looked back on and said he had an uncanny sense of what needed to be done, what was the right thing to do. And, of course, it had never been done before in America. He was charting new, new ground. And so when you, when you don't have your bearings, you don't know really should it be this way or that way. He, he perhaps more than any other American president, set uh, the standard and the direction for a country that even 200 plus years later, we still follow his example. And so certainly a great leader, when your influence outlasts you by centuries, uh, yeah. you realize uh, he's not perfect, he had his shortcomings, but certainly was the man uh, for his time and uh, continues to exert a positive influence to this very day. Sure. Well, tell us again the, the two books, the two biographies that you recommend, yeah. and, and we'll be sure to leave links to these in the show notes. All right. The author that I read was Willard Stern Randall, uh, George Washington, A Life, and then uh, Joseph J. Ellis, His Excellency George Washington. Mm. And, uh, by, and, and Ellis has written an earlier book called Founding Brothers, The Revolutionary Generation, which I also think is a very interesting take on some key moments in American history. Great. Well, thank you. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If this is something you enjoyed, review us on Apple Podcasts, and don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. 
you have questions or comments, please email us at podcast at blackbee.org.